Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Philippians chapter 1 and starting to read at verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you, again your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. Oh, Anthony, thank you very much. And thank you for almost giving us a bit of a freebie as well. We would have enjoyed 27 to 30 just as much, I'm sure. Um, We're going to be looking particularly at um, the second half of verse 18 down to verse 26, the second half of that reading that we had. So do keep your Bibles open. If we've not met, my name's Andy. I'm the Minister for Students here at Fulwood Church. And I'd love to meet you. As Pete said, I'll be down on the door at the end. Um, One other thing to mention, um, if it's a help to you and you're a scribbler, there's um, There's a sort of small bit of space on the service sheet there with some headings. Uh, If you've got very small writing, that might be a help to you, or otherwise the headings might just help you to follow through. But um, I'm going to pray for us, and then shall we dive into this passage together. Uh, Let's pray. Our Lord God, your word says that the one that you esteem is the one who is humble and contrite and trembles at your word. And so we pray that this evening you would help me to speak with a humility and clarity that comes from sitting under your word, and that you would help us all to hear with hearts that tremble in loving adoration at what you say. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What do you want from life? What do you want from life? 
Uh, on Friday night, um, we had uh, curry uh, with some of the student uh, men together. Um, I think that's probably because I have the best job in the world. But um, uh, we had a group of student, uh, student guys together, and uh, one of them who's about to graduate soon, and um, uh, you'll know who you are, but I won't embarrass him by naming him, uh, maybe pay him afterwards for the introduction. But he said, um, he said thinking about the rest of his life with a friend of his, uh, his, um, uh, his friend asked him the question, what do you want? You know, what do you want from life? And... Um, in many ways, I just thought that was an enormously perceptive question. When you think about the big decisions of life and the small ones, the really decisive thing that weighs on what you decide is, is that question, isn't it? What do you really want that will decide how you live? But, but, but it's also a telling question because so often how we feel about the situation we're in is shaped by what we really want. Uh, when I was uh, a curate down south, uh, I used to go and visit a few people who lived um, in a retirement home. And um, uh, it, was, it was a reasonably nice retirement home, quite large though. And there were a number of them who all lived on the same corridor. And I'd go and visit some of these um, Christian folk who lived in this retirement home. And um, very striking how, how one lady who I often visited was, um, was just very angry and frustrated to be living in this retirement home because what she really wanted was her independence. And you see, she'd lost it as she'd got older and so she was angry and frustrated living there. Uh, and another guy just a few doors down who I'd often visit was, was frankly delighted to be there because he was all about community. What he wanted was a bunch of mates around him and, and it was the best time he'd had since he'd been at university, living on a corridor full of his friends, you see. And, um, <laughs> and there they were, two people in really quite similar situations in some ways, two Christians, and, and one of them full of joy and the other one full of anger and frustration. And the difference was what they really wanted. And so what do you want from life? Uh, here, as Paul writes this letter to the Philippians, he's in prison in Rome. You might have picked that up from the reading, the number of times he mentions his chains. And um, Paul is effectively on death row. He's waiting to find out whether he will live or die. He, he's going to have a trial, and he'll either be executed for his Christian preaching, or he'll be released and in this situation of, um, well, fr frankly, tension and uncertainty, um, Paul says, verse 18, I rejoice, yes, and I'll continue to rejoice. Paul is remarkably upbeat about this situation, in chains, not sure if he'll live or die, and yet full of joy. And what we'll see together this evening is the reason that he feels like that is because of what he wants because of what matters to him, his goal, his great priority, what he wants from life. Now, who here doesn't want to know a deep-down joy that transcends our circumstances so that even when you knock us down, we feel joyful at heart? And who here doesn't want to do something with their life, really, really do something with their life, well, Paul writes to the Philippian Christians and he's inviting the church at Philippi and he's inviting us to adopt his mindset to life, 
Just a little bit later, if Anthony had given us our freebie, we would have got there in chapter 1, verse 30, where he says, since you are going through the same struggle that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. You see, they're having a hard time for being Christians too. And Paul is inviting them to see his mindset and to take it on board for themselves, to see what really matters in life. And so two things we're going to see this evening. We're going to see what Paul wants And we're going to see why he wants it. A surprising example of true joy and the source of true joy. And so first of all, we see Paul's surprising example. Have a look down again at verse 18 with me. And just the paragraph break there, halfway through the verse. Paul says, yes, and I'll continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Paul's got this confidence that God will deliver him. You see, the Bible says that prayer matters, Uh, God's people should pray because prayer changes things. Or maybe to put it more precisely, God our Father uses the prayers of his people to accomplish his sovereign uh, plans. And so Paul says he's full of confidence and joy because he knows that they're praying for him uh, and he knows he has the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And of course, the, um, the Spirit of Christ in the Bible is sovereign, God's Holy Spirit. If you've read the book of Acts, you might remember that Paul actually spent some time in prison when he was in Philippi. If not, Acts 16, you can read it afterwards. Because of Paul's gospel preaching, he's thrown in jail. He's up late one night singing psalms and hymns when God, the sovereign God, sends an earthquake and the prison doors are thrown open. And actually, um, Paul and his companion chose to stay in the prison and evangelize the prison guard. And and him and his family are converted. And you can imagine, as the letter to the Philippians is read out to the church, the Philippian jailer and his family are just sort of sat somewhere in the middle there, just with a smile on their face, because they know that the sovereign God can do things for Paul when he's in prison. And so Paul's got this amazing confidence of verse 18... What will happen to me will turn out for my deliverance. But hold on. Deliverance is an ambiguous phrase, isn't it? I've got a footnote. It could mean vindication or salvation. But does Paul mean delivered out of prison? Or does he mean delivered to heaven? There's actually, there's an ambiguity there, isn't there? Because in the next verse, Paul says, verse 20, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. See, Paul's definition of God vindicating him, God rescuing him, God delivering him, seems to cover both options. He's got this confidence, why? Because he's confident that through their prayers, through the help of God's spirit, he will be bold for Jesus. Verse 20, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage. The word courage could mean outspokenness. 
It's a boldness to speak up so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body. See, don't picture Paul like in an episode of Suits, sat down with his league. You, you ever seen that program? Anyone here know what I'm talking about? Yeah, a few people know what I'm talking about. Um, think any legal drama you've ever seen. Don't picture Paul sat down there with his lawyer and the lawyer saying, I'm pretty sure we'll get you out. And if not, we're praying for a miracle. Because that's not what Paul means when he talks about his confidence of deliverance here. He says what he's confident about is that he'll have the courage to speak up for Jesus in his trial so that whether he lives or dies, it will be very clear that he is on Jesus' side. And actually, that phrase, it will turn out for my deliverance, is a quote from the Old Testament, from the book of Job, chapter 16. And that's essentially what Job means when he says it. His friends are saying to him, Job, you're suffering because you've sinned. And Job says, says, no, I want to stand before God so it's clear that I trust him even though I'm suffering. And so you see, here is Paul. And the remarkable thing is he's full of joy and confidence, not because he thinks his circumstances will change for the better, but, but because he knows he'll have an opportunity to hold out the greatness of Jesus Christ that Christ will be exalted in my body. Uh, I've got a friend called Matt, and um, he, uh, he was one of a little group of guys who really um, committed themselves to encourage me when I first became a Christian. Uh, he was a sort of um, active, outdoorsy, sporty kind of guy, and so it was a real act of Christian kindness that he would spend so much time with a, um, a nerdy teenager like me. But um, he, he and a group of others really committed themselves to encourage me on in those early days. And, um, and we've stayed in touch since then. And um, uh, just about eight years ago, he was on a hiking holiday in the Scottish Highlands. As I said, big, bold, outdoorsy sort of character. When, um, when his legs started to feel a bit strange and a bit wobbly. Uh, and he didn't quite know what was going on. But, um, but he turned in early for bed that night. And when he woke up the next day, he couldn't move at all. He was paralysed from the neck down. And he had to be airlifted to the nearest hospital. And over the next few months, uh, my friend Matt gradually regained feeling in um, his arms and in the top half of his body. But, but he's, still, he's still in a wheelchair today. Um, a, a big, bold, outdoorsy guy, really shrunken down in many ways into this wheelchair. And... Um, He's a, great, um, he's a great explainer of the gospel. And a couple of years ago, um, not long before moving up to Sheffield, uh, we had this men's event at my church and, um, and invited him to come and speak. And um, I, I remember chatting to him on the phone about it. And, and he said to me, um, it, it's, been, it's been unbelievably hard, but I want to use what's happened to me as an opportunity to explain how good Jesus is to men. And so we had this event, and there were, about, um, there were about 60 or so blokes crammed in a restaurant, and he's talking about God and suffering, and you could have heard a pin drop as he sat there in his wheelchair and explained the goodness of Jesus in the gospel. And you see, he is a Christian 
who had taken hold of what Paul is describing here. He wasn't saying it wasn't hard, but he had a remarkable kind of joy because what had happened to him was an opportunity to be bold for Jesus. And he was confident to speak for him. And Paul says, I eagerly expect that and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage now as always, so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Do Do you see what Paul really wants? Paul wants the opportunity to speak of Jesus, his goodness, his kindness, his lordship, to to be known as one of Jesus' people. And that totally changes the way Paul sees his situation, fills him with joy, even as he sits there in prison on trial for his life. And I don't know about you, but I read those verses and feel pretty humbled, to be honest. How is it that Paul wants this so much that it reshapes the way that he lives and the way that he feels? Well, it's not because Paul is a sort of chisel-jawed action hero or something like that. In the next few verses, he's going to explain essentially that it's because of the gospel. So why don't we dive in together? The source, we've seen the surprising example of true joy. Let's see together the source of true joy. And chapter one, verse 21, and it's a lovely verse, isn't it? For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. For to me, Paul says, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Now, I don't know if you're the sort of person who learns Bible verses off by heart. Uh, If you're not, let me commend that practice to you as a way of getting to know God's word and store it up for yourself. But here is a memory verse, so short, with words so simple, even a bear of little brain like me can remember it. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And worth remembering... Because Paul says this is the driving motivation of his life, the thing that totally changes the way he sees his circumstances, the thing that changes what he wants. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And notice, Paul's not setting out to find joy as he writes about joy in these verses. He's not on a quest for satisfaction or fulfillment in life. He's not really thinking about himself at all. He's saying, for me, to live is someone else. To live is Christ, and to die is gain. And it's a remarkable statement, because do you see, it it means that Paul's circumstances, whatever they are, are a win-win, aren't they? Because if he lives... He can serve Christ. But if he dies, even better, it's gain. So what does Paul mean by this statement? To me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. A a great question to ask uh, any of your your friends, your colleagues, your, your family members. What do you live for? For the weekend, for football? Um, for my children, for retirement, for happiness, for independence, so I can really make a difference in this world? What do you want? What do you live for? And Paul says, for to me, to live is Christ. 
And he explains what he means in the next verse, in verse 22. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. To to live is Christ means to serve Christ, to work for Christ. He colors it in a bit more in verse 25, doesn't he? Convinced of this, I know that I'll remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your joy in Jesus Christ will overflow on account of me. Paul lives to serve Jesus, and he serves Jesus by serving others. In this case, the Philippians, living for Jesus to Paul meant living for people. He loved them, he served them, he preached Christ to them. For me, to live is Christ, meant to do all that he could to help them, verse 25, make progress in their faith and grow in joy in their faith, for them to enjoy Jesus Christ, to see him in all his greatness. Uh, Listen, this is really cheesy, and I've I've nicked it from someone else. I'm going to be upfront with you about that, but it's so cheesy that it's stuck in my mind, and I hope that it'll stick in yours as well, okay? How do you spell joy? How do you spell joy? J-O-Y. Jesus others, yourself. And you see, Paul finds joy by spelling it properly. He gives his life to serve Jesus by serving others ahead of himself. And he finds this joy that can't be dented by his his circumstances as he does it. Of course, so many people in our world never quite find joy because they're spelling it wrong. Think how many people say to themselves, you've got to love yourself first. You've got to seek my happiness before I can sort anyone else out. And so they spell it Y-O and then maybe J at Christmas and Easter, if at all. Yourself, others, and then Jesus. I told you it was cheesy, but hopefully uh, it'll stick in your mind like it's stuck. uh, It'll stick in your mind like it's stuck in uh, in mine. Uh, Here is Paul who loves Jesus, who serves Jesus by serving other people, by helping them to know him better and rejoice rejoice in him more. And notice, this is nothing more than um, applying the Christian gospel. Uh, The gospel says Jesus died to set us free from living for ourselves and the judgment from God that that brings so that we could be free to serve Jesus and love other people. And Paul says, that is the dominant focus of my life. For me, to live is Christ, but but even better than that, verse 21, to die is gain. Now, goodness, what does Paul mean by this? Uh, He doesn't mean that he's so Um, so unhappy in his prison cell that at least if he died, he'd escape from his circumstances. He's not not sort of depressed in that way. No, for me, uh, to die is gain, says Paul, because, verse 23, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. See, Paul looks at the prospect of his own death and he says, look, 
If I die, it means that I'll be with Jesus, the one that I love. And and this is the Christian hope. Um, You'll know this, but let me remind you, the hope that Jesus holds out to every Christian is that when we die, though our bodies will go into the ground, our souls will go to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. And one day when he returns, we'll have glorious new bodies and we'll be with him forever. Think how Paul puts it somewhere else. We'll be like him, but we shall see him as he is. Uh, A few years ago, um, well, in fact, um, just about five years ago now, um, my my eldest son, Tom, was born. And because I'm I'm quite bad at forward planning, uh, I was was leading um, a summer holiday camp for teenagers at the time. And it it just didn't didn't occur to me, right, that my son was going to be born just about six weeks before the camp that I was due to be running. And so I'd made no plans not to be there or anything like that. And... um, and off I went at the start of this camp. My, my firstborn is there, this tiny baby. I had to say goodbye at the door, and off I went to this camp. And, and look, even though I was somewhere that I love, in the beautiful countryside of Gloucestershire, and even though I was doing something that I love, teaching the Bible to people, opening it up, answering their questions, in my heart of hearts, what I longed for was just to go home and see this little baby who'd just been born. And it was a really hard week, actually, longing to be there. And you see, this is, this is the dynamic of the gospel for Christians. Have you tasted something of the goodness of Jesus to you? Something of the trustworthiness of his promises, the beauty of his character, his kindness to the last and the least? One day, Christian, you will be with him and you'll see him as he is, face to face. And Paul says, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. The worst thing anyone can do to you as a Christian is, is take your life away from you, which is to send you to be with him where he is. Uh, a mate and I used to have a joke. Whenever we saw someone do something really dangerous, you know, they'd be driving at 100 miles an hour in their car or something like that, and we'd say, oh, fast track to glory. You know, and it, it was a silly joke, but, <laughs> but it is true. Because for the Christian, the worst thing anyone can do is to fast track you to be with him and to see him as he is, which is the Christian hope and the thing that we long for. And so Paul says, for me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And here he is, he's not sure whether he's going to live or die, but he's pretty convinced, verse 25, convinced of this, I know that I'll remain and will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. Because, of course, Jesus, others, yourself, their joy matters more than his does. But you see, here is the Christian perspective. Here is the gospel partner's mindset. Here is Paul looking at life and death and saying, look, it's win-win. Because as long as I live, I can live for Jesus by living for others. And when I die, oh boy, because I'll be with him, which is better by far. 
And just notice, please, I've said it already, but I'll say it again. Just notice, Paul is not a superman here. It's not that Paul is the chisel-jawed kind of action hero who's just good at being tough for the sake of being tough. All Paul does here is take the truths of the, the Christian gospel and simply apply them to his life and his, situa- his situation. For me to live is Christ. Jesus bought me from living for myself so that I can enjoy living for him and serving others. Jesus has promised me through his death and resurrection life with him forever. And so for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And it changes everything about Paul's courage, his joy, his mindset. It's not because he was an exceptional person, though no doubt he was, but because he had an exceptional gospel and was able to say those words to himself. Listen, there is, there is an indestructible joy to be found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there's a way of living life that is purposeful and meaningful that brings value to everything. And it's a way of life that says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Listen, let me say, if you're here this evening and you're just looking into the Christian faith, we always have people like that with us week by week. And it's, it's great to have you here. But let me say, you will never find this kind of deep down joy in life by looking for it, by seeking to make yourself happy. This is a joy that is, that is held out to people who trust Jesus, to people who say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I, I'd love you to find out more about it. If it sounds completely counterintuitive and utterly implausible, or if maybe just maybe you have a sense that actually you'd just love to taste it for yourself. Uh, We've got this great course, Christianity Explored, that was mentioned already, and there are flyers around the place. Come along. But I guess for most of us here who are Christian believers, I I don't know about you, but, but I find myself very often wanting all sorts of things from life, faffing around with things that don't really matter, and with a heart that bounces from joy to disappointment, and often lacks purpose. And here is a great memory verse for us to learn, not just so that we can get a gold star from Sunday school, but so that we can take it and apply it to our lives in all circumstances. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. you join me in learning that together this week? And maybe we can preach it to ourselves. Um, if you're going to do it you know, on the train to work or something, maybe do it in your head rather than out loud. But we can preach this to ourselves in all the circumstances of life. This will change your perspective. Paul says, in the hardest of circumstances, he's full of joy. Why? Because for me, to live is Christ and die is gain. What do you want? Because that's what Paul wants. Let's pray. Our Lord God, in all that we do and in all that we face, we pray that you would please 
Help us apply the gospel to our hearts and to our situations. Whether by life or by death, we pray that you would help us to see the promises and the goodness of Jesus and to live for him and die for him. For in his name we pray. Amen.